All right. This week we're in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. Last week we looked at chapter number 1. And uh, by way of review, and if this style of preaching bothers you, you know, if you want to go back three points in a poem, you let me know. I never had a poem. That's just a way of saying it. But uh, I'm, I'm kind of enjoying expositing right now until it gets a little harder and deeper, maybe. I don't know. I might not enjoy it as much then. But we'll see how it goes. But uh, when we look at the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians, we, we see kind of the summary at the end, just by way of review. He says, let no man deceive himself. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 18, Paul kind of finishes up his train of thought here, and I'm going to take you back to chapter number one to show you what that train of thought was. The, real, the whole reason that he's writing this, and it's important to keep that in context, because we can, we can hammer down into a verse or into a little small group of verses. We can come up with all kinds of sermons out of it. But I'm kind of enjoying looking at the context and then seeing what Paul tells them in that context. Uh, verse number 18, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. This is, this is kind of summarizing what he's going to tell you today in chapter number two. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Let no man glory in men. And this is the key here. Let no man glory in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God. Look back at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. In chapter number 1, verse number 12, this is the verse that ties into it. Chapter number 1, verse number 12. I got a little bit of echo, man. He said, now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul and I of Apollos and I of Cephas and I of Christ. There was a, there was a split or a schism happened in the church at Corinth. We know Corinth was a doctrinally unsound church and there was a lot of things that Paul had to address. We get a lot of good doctrine from the church of Corinth because they messed up and Paul was addressing it. But here in the first part of his letter, He's letting them know, I'm hearing about these divisions among you. And you're, you're lining up behind a man and you're saying, well, I follow Paul because he's the one that led me to Christ and, and I, I like his teaching. I'm going to line up behind him. And the other one said, well, I line up behind Apollos. Apollos was the one that taught me. He was the one that led me to the Lord. I'm following Apollos. Well, if you look back in the book of Acts, Paul was the one that straightened out Apollos. But that doesn't mean anything to Paul, Paul was just setting Apollo straight on the track for following Christ. Apollos was teaching the baptism of John. I think it's Acts chapter number 17. And Apollos was teaching the baptism of John. Now, this is where people, they, they, the, the gospel wasn't all the way hammered out in the book of Acts. It's a transitional book. So Apollos is teaching them what he knows about, and that's the baptism of John, which is the baptism of repentance. And He's teaching them about that. You got to repent. You got to be baptized. And, and Paul comes along and he asks them about if they know about the Holy Spirit. And he said, well, they said, well, we know not whether a spirit exists. 
Let's go look at it before I booger it all up. Before I mess it up, Acts chapter number 17. Nope, got Acts 17 in my head, and that is Mars Hill. Chapter number 18 and 19. So chapter number 18, and it was Aquilus and Priscilla that uh, straightened Apollos out. Verse number 24, Acts chapter 18, verse number 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. Verse 26, And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took unto them, took him unto them, and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. He wasn't afraid. He had a zeal, but not according to knowledge. He had a zeal for God, and he was teaching what he knew. And Aquila and Priscilla came along, and they, they expounded to him a little better. They said, look, it's through Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It's not the repentance of John. It's not the baptism of John, but it's the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. He shed his blood for our sins. And they, they kind of lined him out. And once they had him, had him lined out and pointed in the right direction, he took off. So... Here at the church of Corinth, they're lining up behind Paul. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. They're lining up behind Paul, and some or others are lining up behind Apollos. Now, Paul spends the next three chapters, or chapter 1, 2, and 3, he's explaining to them that you don't line up behind a man. You line up behind Jesus Christ. You don't lift a man. You don't exalt a man. And Paul spends all of chapter number 1, and that's where we were last week, uh, explaining to him that he didn't come there to baptize. He said, I didn't come to baptize. Verse 15, he says, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. He said, and I baptized also the house of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not without wisdom of words, lest the, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross to, the, to them that perish is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. So he's lining them up, not behind a baptism, but behind the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's where we are when we come to chapter number two. And if you look at uh, verse number 30, and all this is for the introduction, verse number 30 is how it leads off in chapter number one. <coughs> He said, but of him, uh, let's go back to 29. He says that no flesh should glory in his presence. He's, he's putting man down. God uses the base things of this world. You could, people tend to line up behind a charismatic leader. They tend to line up behind someone that's well-spoken, someone that's educated. They sit there and they look up there and they say, man, that guy's got it together. I want to follow him. And Paul said, no, that's not how it works. You don't follow a man, you follow Christ. 
He says that no flesh should glory in his presence, verse 29, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now, you see that list of things? That's all the things that Christ is to us. He is our wisdom. He is our righteousness. We try to go, we go about trying to establish our own righteousness. Our righteousness is through Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that we go on sinning, that we just go on and do whatever we want to do. But when we follow Christ, and it's like we kind of peaked at in Sunday school, uh, Romans 8, 1, uh, there, is, there is now no condemnation for them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. That relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, I, I'm going to ask the question because I have to. I want to make sure everybody's still following along. I'm not going to say it like that, but I just said it. Is everybody with me? Okay. I don't want to be annoying, but I don't want to leave everybody behind either. And uh, verse 31, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. All of our glory should be in Jesus Christ. When people get led to the cross, when people get saved, the glory ought to go to God. You know, it's a tendency. We, we would love to sit there and put notches in the Bible. I know I would. Man, we had 40 baptisms. We had 3,100 get saved. And we had, man, we had a time. And I would love to see that. I wouldn't argue with it one bit. But even, if, you know, with it happening, it, all the glory goes to God. That's one of the hard things to learn as a preacher or anything else. People say, man, I sure like your preacher. And you just want to tell them, give God the glory, give God and you know, sometimes you know they know it, and sometimes you just say, well, thank you. Thank you. But uh, so that as according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And if you miss that, that's a good, that's a good chapter to read. I'm not going to rehash it. Chapter number two, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Paul was saying, when you heard the gospel from me, you didn't hear me talking about this Greek philosopher, that Greek philosopher, this Roman, you know, quoting, quoting some Roman uh, Caesar or something like that. He said, I, when, when I came to you, it wasn't with excellency of speech. People can give some good speeches. Uh, you, you know Jerry Clower? You know who Jerry Clower is? Yeah. And I've told this joke before, but not everybody's heard it. But... It, Jerry Clower, he tells a joke about a man, an oil man, an engineer. He was going to these conferences, and he had one driver the whole time driving his limo, and he'd go to these conferences, and the driver would sit in the back and listen to him give his speech, and, uh, man, people would applaud and everything, and that driver was saying, you know, life just ain't fair. And he said, what do you mean? He said, well, I'm up here driving you around, to all these places, and they're paying you big money to talk to all these people. All these oil people are out there to hear whatever you got to say. And, and uh, man, you, you sure make it sound important. You sure make it sound technical. He said, I've been watching you. He said, I could do that speech in my sleep. And the engineer in the back, he said, well, I'll tell you what. We're going to this next town. They don't know you. He said, uh, they don't know me. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll sit in the front seat, I'll put on the hat, you go give the speech, and I'll watch from the back. 
And uh, he said, all right, that'd be just fine. He said, you think you can give the speech? Said, yeah, I know I can give the speech. He said, it ain't fair that you make all that money and I, get, you know, I don't make hardly nothing driving you around. He said, okay, well, let's do it. So the next town they went to, and man, they greeted him, and they, they went through all the introductions, and they said, now here's the, here's the engineer. He's going to tell us all about the oil drilling business, and he's going to tell us, and he gets up there, and man, he gives that speech, and he just lays it on. He doesn't miss a word. He gets up there, and he can expound it. Excellent speech. I know I'm throwing y'all off, but I'm talking about man's wisdom here. It's, it's relevant. So he gets up there, and he gives that speech, and he... He expounds it, and uh, at the end, there was a question and answer time. And one of them egghead uh, oil guys in the back, he's, he said, well, now, if the pressure in the strata is less than the pressure in the whatever, you know, and he goes into this whole big question, and it just to put him on the spot, you know, he, he wants to show that he knows just as much as that engineer, everybody that's sitting there. That man listens to him, and he looks at him, and he said, that is the simplest question I have ever heard. I ain't never heard a question so simple. He said, that, that is ridiculous, asking a question like that. Everybody here knows the answer to that. Matter of fact, my chauffeur's sitting in the back. He's going to explain it to you. <laughs> Back to your regularly scheduled sermon. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul could have got up there and he could have told you all about Moses. He could have told you all about the Bible. He could have told you all about the Torah and Talmud. Because he grew up learning at the feet of Gamaliel. One of the Pharisee, uh, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He knew the law backwards and forwards. He, he knew he could expound to you all about creation. And he, he did a little bit of that in uh, Acts chapter 17. I'm not going to go there. When he was on Mars Hill and they let him speak at the Areopagus. And uh, he began to tell them about the unknown God, you know, and he began to reason with them. Because Greeks like to reason. Greek, they were all gathered there to hear some new thing. And when I say Greeks, I mean Gentiles because it applies to us. We're not Jews. But he, they were there to hear some new thing. And he, he did. He expounded to them. But it didn't quite go across. One of the commentators said, you know, I think Paul learned after that. And here when you read in, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, he said, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul said, I'm here to preach the gospel. He said, uh, verse number three, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Man can get up and he can expound all kinds of wisdom. You can go and witness to somebody and you can sell them on being saved. Amen. You can. You can close the deal. I mean, there's, uh, there's a technique for selling and, and the, uh, okay, I'm going to give you another illustration. When I was selling cars years ago, when I was trying that sales that I talked about, and I was, I'd been standing up there on the porch with the rest of them waiting for what we called an up. That's what you people are, your ups. You're next up, you know. 
And uh, they're, they're out there on the car lot. And I said, man, I can talk to people. He said, yeah, I see you're doing good. And they get, they're smiling and everything. And I said, but I can't get them to do a demo drive because it's emotion. Sales is an emotional thing. The buyer, I mean, how many of you got in a car, sat in and said, hmm, I can see my behind here every morning on the way to work. When you see yourself in that car, you're selling yourself. But if you don't get in the car, you can't see it. And uh, it was a young guy. And he was always giving demos. I said, man, what's the trick? He said, well, I'll tell you. And I only did it one time. He said, when they pull up, I'll just tell you what I did. Because I was following what he said. I said, would you like to take a demo drive? You know, it was an older couple, and they were there to buy a car. And they said, ah, we're just here to look. Oh, I hear that all the time. So we're just here to look. I said, all right, well, let's look at it. I opened up the... I opened up the passenger door. I opened up the hood. I said, yeah, you see the engine in here. You know, it's blah, blah, 5.7, whatever. And I opened up the side door. And you, know, you got air controls over here for your wife and air controls over there or whoever's driving. You know, you can have your different comfort levels. And I opened up the back door, you know. Or uh, when I had opened up that side door, I said, just sit in there and feel how that is, you know. And then when she sat down in there and, Oh, yeah, and I shut the door and walked around. We did the trunk, you know, back seat, front seat. I said, just sit in there behind the wheel, feel how it is. And uh, he sat in there. Oh, yeah. And then I got in the back back of the car, and I said, well, just make a left up here. I was following his advice. And they weren't going to go for a test drive. And he looked at her, and she looked at him, and he put it in drive and made a left. I felt so wicked. I, I just, <laughs> I just did, did not feel right. We went on that test drive. We came back, and it was starting to get dark. I was going, we were going to pick a color now. But when we got back, it was getting dark. You couldn't tell what color these mercury was from the other, you know. And, uh, and then I told him, I said, well, you know, y'all come back tomorrow. We'll, we'll pick out a color and you know, we'll, we'll see about getting you in one. And uh, they said, well, okay. They got home and then woke up. <laughs> they called me. They said, well, I don't think we're going to be coming back for that. And I, I knew. I knew. But I was so tired of getting turned down for test drives, I had to do it one time. You know. But, uh, all right, I got to stay on track. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words. You can sell someone on the gospel. You can close the deal. And there's people that can do it and convince them that they ain't saved. I mean, I've seen, I've seen people that I, I'm pretty sure were saved that got unsaved and saved again in the same night. We call them retreads. He said, uh, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. That's the attitude of the preacher. See, you got the style of the preaching. The preacher that gets up there and feels like he, he's got it all under control, I've always told you, as soon as you think you're in control, you're no longer in control. As soon as you think you got it all figured out and you're somebody, you're nobody. And Paul said he, he kept in mind his position. He remembered. He had that thorn in the flesh that kept him in a humble position. When you're given the gospel of Jesus Christ, one of the worst things you can do is say something that will send somebody off into a tailspin, and yet you still have to go on talking. See, I don't know how many times I've made y'all mad and you ain't going to come back. 
you still got to give the gospel. But if you're just preaching Bible, and if you're just telling someone from the Bible standpoint, like with the Ten Commandments, I'm keeping these tied together, like with the Ten Commandments, God's doing the speaking, not you. That's between them and God. It's not you trying to sell somebody. Because look here, he says, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, relying on the Holy Spirit to lead someone to Jesus Christ, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now you look at that sales demo where they went on the test drive and all that. That was under the power key. And I'm not saying God has anything to do with you buying a car. But what I'm saying is if you manipulate someone and buyer's remorse kicks in later, it's your fault because you didn't let God lead them. If you're trying to witness to somebody and you're not doing it in the power of God, you might convince them. But was it you that did the convincing? We know. How many people have gotten saved and not come back to church? How many people have been led into the sinner's prayer and you come back, well, we had 10 people get saved on visitation, How you know, and uh, you never see them. How many people have gone to uh, football stadium revivals? You never see them again. So it's when God gets in it. Uh, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, verse 5, but in the power of God. Verse number 6, how be it? We speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world. The perfect, the saints. You're perfect in Christ. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. You wonder why when you read the Bible, there's things that it just doesn't make sense to some people. When Jesus gave the... Uh, when Jesus spoke to the people, he spoke in parables. One person heard a, a, a sower went out to sow some seeds, and he threw some out, and some fell among the thorns, and some fell among the good soil, and some fell over here and grew up and choked. And that's all they ever heard was a lesson on farming. And they walked away and said, well, I know how, I know how throwing the seed works. I've seen it. They walked away, and that's all they ever knew. But the ones that really wanted to know, they asked God because they asked Jesus. What's the meaning of this parable? We know you're not just telling us how to plant crops. Jesus told them, you know, the, the, the sowing of the word of God. It's the word of God and how it lands on people's hearts. Some spring up on, to life everlasting. So when you read the Bible, and this is where we get to the heart of chapter number two, okay? Because chapter number two, he's talking about man's wisdom and God's wisdom. You follow me on this? And as we go through, he says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You got God's power, man's wisdom. And uh, verse number six, how be it we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world under our glory which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of God, glory. If they had known what Jesus was saying, if they had listened, they didn't want to listen. So Jesus kept it in parables, so it'd be hidden from them. He said, he said uh, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have 
crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, and you've heard this verse, this is a good memory verse. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. You've heard that verse by itself. And a lot of people look at that and they say, well, I mean, there's some corrupt preachers in the world, right? They'll say that verse, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. God wants you to have a new house. God wants you to have a new car. God wants you to have wealth. He wants you to retire in style, have that RV, and travel around the country. You can take off on that. But let's go back to our context. They're lining up behind men rather than God. Now he's telling them, we want you to be founded, your faith to be founded in the power of the gospel. He said, I I came to preach Christ. I didn't come to baptize. I came to point you to Jesus Christ. And evermore will I do that as a preacher, point you to Jesus Christ. I used to work with a woman when I was working in the glass plant. Y'all just keep counting the jobs as I tell these stories. When I was working in the glass plant, and and well, she talked a lot. But uh, she'd always say, my pastor says, my pastor says, my pastor says. And me and Grady Budget that uh, worked on the line with her, you know, it's like, what's your faith founded in? What your pastor says or what the Bible says? Amen? I know that's easy for y'all. Y'all say, well, I ain't listening to that man anyway. <laughs> Listen to the Bible. It says, which, uh, but as it is, let's go back to verse number nine. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Let me give you a little picture context that's in my ear or in my head. Uh, I mean, when you read Revelation, you see a lot of things in there. When you read the book of Daniel, you see a lot of things in there. And I've heard it taught, I've heard it's taught in seminary and things. Well, the scripture has. One meaning and one meaning only when you look at a passage. And I get the point because there's a lot of people that will look at a passage and say, well, that donkey, that means this, that means that, you know, when the Bible never said that. But the fact of the matter is, when you read what Jesus said, when you read what Paul wrote, when you read the book of Hebrews, there's no doubt that the Bible points back at the Old Testament, you know, Jesus said, as, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. You go back and look at that serpent in the wilderness, and now you're seeing God's painting a picture of his son going up on that cross because all they had to do was look on that serpent to be saved. They had to look on him. Uh, that, that spiritual rock, Paul talked about that same spiritual rock, was Jesus Christ. That, mo- that rock that was struck in the wilderness. You look back, and the first time when they wanted water, when they were in the wilderness, God told Moses to strike the rock with the rod. Well, there's your first coming of Jesus Christ. And then the second time, he was supposed to speak to the rock in order for the water to come out. I mean, there's no doubt. There's pictures in the Bible. They're talking about actual events, that they're also ta- they're, there's also a picture that's painted there. But you can go crazy trying to point, paint your own pictures. You better stay in the Bible context. Y'all follow me on that? So, how do I tie that? Well, that's the, I have not seen, 
I had not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love them. Paul talked about knowing a man, whether it was in the spirit or in the body, he didn't know, but he saw things which were unspeakable, which it was unlawful to speak of. It had been caught up to the third heaven. Couldn't even explain it in our terms. Jesus gave us pictures, and God gives us pictures so that we can understand. Jesus told uh, Nicodemus over in John chapter number 3, Turn over to John chapter number three real quick. We're not going to explain the whole thing, but uh, Nicodemus comes to him by night and asks him a question. Jesus said, you must be born again. And he's trying to figure it out. He says, should we crawl back into our mother's womb and be born again? And verse number seven, marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. You know, the Bible talks about your spirit bearing witness with our spirit. When you're around another Christian, sometimes you can just tell. When I uh, worked at the power plant, here's another one, chalk it up. When I worked at the power plant and I first started working there, this fella showed up, you know, his first day of work. He got hired on. There was only 15 of us there. And he was there, and there was something about him. I got to talking to him later and realized he'd been saved not too long ago, and he was, he was just shining. You could tell. And, uh, but you don't, there's nothing you can put your finger on. You can't see it. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell from whence it cometh and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered, said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness." Jesus said, I'm, I'm telling you about the things that you've seen. I'm trying to tell you in terms that you can understand. He said, verse number 12, if I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? You see how Jesus painted the picture? Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. If I have told you earthly things and you don't understand, how, shall you, how will you understand if I tell you heavenly things? He said, I have not seen nor ear heard. It's got nothing to do with a new apartment or a new car, does it? Neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. There'll be a time in glory in heaven. All right, we're going to move along. Verse number 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit, for the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now, Here's where the Bible breaks people. I had a relative that said there was a time when, you know, back was broke or whatever was broke, laid up in a bed for months. I read through the Bible. I read through the Bible twice. I didn't see nothing to help me. Well, there's two ways to approach the Bible. There's man's way and there's God's way. There's approaching the Bible and say, God, Prove it. Prove it. I doubt it. I'm going to come. 
I don't see it. But God knows their heart. Somebody that says that may be saying, God, please show me, because I want to know you. Somebody else may be saying, I don't want to stop what I'm doing. I don't want to have to change things. I don't want you in charge. They read through it, and God says, okay, help yourself. All I see is a bunch of stories about planting seeds. Okay. Yep, that's all there is. There's some, there's some atheists that know it so well. They could, put a, they could put a Christian to shame. He said, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit, for the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Then there's the other way to approach this Bible and say, Lord, open your word to me. Show me in your word. How many of you doing morning devotions, you just look at a verse and, and just God begins to move in your heart. And you say, man, that needs to change. That is so dead on. And it's just a verse that God spoke to you in that moment. That was the verse that you looked at in that moment that spoke to you for what was going on in your life. It's because you went to God's word looking. It doesn't mean you play Bible bingo. Well, do we need to buy this house? You know? It doesn't mean you play Bible bingo, but when you walk in the spirit, when you maintain fellowship with Jesus Christ, and when you maintain fellowship through his word, through the Bible daily, God begins to show you things. He begins to open up his word. And it's the Holy Spirit that teaches us. You look over in John chapter uh, 15, 16, 17, right in there. I know that's a big wide space, but there's spots where it talks about the Holy Spirit teaching, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It teaches us. And uh, Verse number 10, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit, for the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now, verse number 11, this is why the Holy Spirit shows us things. He says, for what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him. You know, when you were a little kid, you only knew what you knew. You know, now that you're an adult, you only know what you know. I remember when I was a little kid and I was telling my uncle all about how a carburetor works and what happens when it gets flooded. You know, his reaction was, Kevin, come over here and hear this. I don't know what I said to this day, (laughs) but I I had it all explained out and I was only about four years old or five years old, you know. I had it all figured out. I don't work on cars today, so I wasn't a savant. He said, for what man knoweth the things of a man, say the spirit of man which is in him, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Um, we, don't, we can't understand all that God has for us. We haven't seen it. We haven't heard it. We haven't felt it. We haven't touched it. We get glimpses. When you look at this world, I'm going to get a little weird here. When you, when you look at this world and you look at the things that, that people latch on to, I've watched a couple of these ghost hunter shows and things like that. I know, I know. Get me out of the pulpit. But I've watched a couple of these ghost hunters, and there seems to be a pattern with these ghosts and these demonic possessions if you read these stories and stuff. When I look at that, I say, yeah, there is a pattern because there's the spirit world. There's the demons that God talks about, and that's the things that they're messing with. But the fact of the matter is, we really don't know what's on the other side. But they, there's people that reject God, but they flock over to this, right? 
Say, for what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we're going to be winding it up here. Verse number 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. We receive the Holy Spirit when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. The Spirit is the seal of our salvation. When you get saved, you are able to talk to heaven. You're able to enter the throne, in a sense, and talk directly to God. There's one mediator between God and man. That's the man, Christ Jesus. Part of the Holy Spirit's ministry is to teach us, is to lead us, is to convict us of sin, just so you know that I know what I'm talking about, look back at uh, John chapter. John chapter number 14. John chapter number 14, and we're going to be jumping a little bit, but uh, verse number 16, he says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. After Jesus Christ ascended up to heaven on on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter number two, the Holy Spirit came to dwell with the saved. He says, but you know him for he dwelleth with you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Verse 25, these things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. Verse 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. You don't receive the Bible by osmosis by putting it under your pillow like a textbook. And that doesn't work very good either. But when you begin to read the Bible and you keep reading then you come up in a circumstance. I, I don't know how many times I've talked to God and asked questions, and the, the, the verses come up. And it's like, okay, well, I got my answer there. And, and I'm talking to myself. It's, it's, I'll, I'll ask the question, and then the verse will come up, and I'll kind of quote it, and it's like, well, okay. That, that's, I see that. And then, well, what about, oh, okay. So... Now, if Miss Johnny didn't leave me on the ghost hunter thing, she should still be with me. Uh, verse, uh, chapter number 15, verse number 26. And he says, but when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the spirit of truth, which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. There's another ministry of the spirit. He testifies of God. He said, uh, I don't know if it was there, but he said he will not testify of himself. Those that get to worship in the Holy Spirit over Jesus Christ, they're on the wrong side of the page, I think. Well, there ain't no thinking to it right here, uh, if I can find it. Let's see, verse number, chapter 16, verse number 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And that is your conviction, being convicted of sin. When you start to do something and it's like, don't do that. You know, 
It's not Jiminy Cricket on your shoulder. It's the Holy Spirit telling you you're about to get out of God's will. And you can harden yourself to the Spirit. Let me tell you. You can harden yourself to the point where, you know, uh, to the point where you think it's okay to do something. And, and that's it. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. So verse number 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Do you see how that works with the ministry of the Holy Spirit we just looked at? He said, which things we also we speak. He's still talking about the preaching. Not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. If you just look at this Bible as a textbook, and you don't include the Holy Spirit, if you don't include God's movement, if you don't include God's ability to be outside of time and God's ability to, to, to manage things, you're going to get off track. He said comparing spiritual things with spiritual. When we read the Bible, you compare one part of the Bible to the other. If you just take one section and you say, well, this, I think this, you'll get off on all kinds of tracks. You ever... I'm not going to go there. It wasn't bad. It's just about the way science will make an assumption here and build a whole factually scientific theory off of an assumption. You ever seen that? All right, which things also we speak, verse number 13, not in the wisdom which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual And then there's another one of my favorite verses. Verse number 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. The natural man, the unsaved man, the man who doesn't have God, the God who doesn't have, the man who doesn't have God's Holy Spirit. He said, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. If all you do is look at this Bible as a group of words and you're going to hammer out the Greek and you're going to hammer out the Hebrew and all that, and you, man, you can, I mean, you can dissect this book backwards and forwards. You know what happens? They get so theologically minded, they look back and they say, well, yeah, Isaiah wrote the first part, but there's a Deutero Isaiah that wrote the last part of Isaiah. You know what that does? That, that voids the prophecies that take place in Isaiah because they'll put it, after those things happened. And now, I mean, let me ask you something. You ever watch that show, The First 48, with the cops, and they're figuring out crimes? Because in the first 48 hours, if they don't have some good leads, it's going to go cold, or it's more likely to go cold. But somehow, in today's world, we can look back 2,000 years and figure out more than those that were sitting there holding the text. You know what I'm saying? We can sit there and figure out somebody's mind because, well, their speech patterns changed in this. Do you speak the same way you did when you were 20 years old? The same way when you were 16? As you grow, as time goes on? This Bible was not all written at one time in a person's life. If Paul wrote a little different here and a little different there, 27 years can fit in between two verses. I'm just saying. 
So, but the natural man received not the things of the spirit for their foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. That's your pearls before the swine. You can sit there and tell, try to tell someone all about the glory that's in the Bible, all about the spirit, all about the uh, serpent lifted up in the wilderness. You can tell them all about Moses striking a rock, striking it twice. But if they don't know God, it's pearls before swine because it's the Holy Spirit that opens up things. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged in no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? And the, question, the answer is nobody. You're not going to tell God about his plan, but a lot of people do. Well, I just don't think a loving God would. I just don't think. And, and they begin to tell God how he should do it. There's a lot of people got to figure out how God ought to do it. Well, I, I, weren't you a little harsh, God, back in the Old Testament there when you told Saul to wipe them out, all the Amalekites, every man, woman, child, and all the cattle and the oxen? Uh, you know, that sounds a little rough. Well, let me ask you something. Because we've grown up in this age, and we've seen what, do, what political correctness does. And we've seen a whole youth grow up that can't even handle a joke that's off-color nowadays. I'm not, I'm not pushing for off-color jokes. I'm just telling you that growing up, you know, the, the things that we knew younger... It was like, yeah, well, you know, that's that's old Uncle Bill or whatever. Nowadays, that's we bring the FBI out. You know, that's we we got We got to get the news on this. I'm not justifying things, but I'm telling you, people's thoughts change. We go buy our food. Here's an example. I go. We go and buy food at the grocery store. We buy meat that's already cut. It's already chopped. I'm about finished. It's all chopped up. But if it comes to actually killing the raccoon in the yard and eating him. We might hesitate a little bit. So when we look at the sacrifices and the offerings that take place in the Old Testament, we say, well, that's a little harsh. But somebody that was killing a raccoon or killing sheep or killing pigs, whatever, every day so that they could eat, and they they were butchering them themselves, there's not a lot to it. I'm just telling you. So, for who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Man, not going to tell God how he should do it. God did it how he did it. So that's your two approaches to the Bible. One approach says, well, I don't think God was right in doing this. God was. The other approach says, well, why, get, why did God do that? Well, look what the Amalekites did when, when they went into the land and God told them that they had to get them out. Why did he do that? Well, because when they stayed in the land, they were a constant thorn in the side. But we have the mind of Christ. And how do we have that mind of Christ? Through Jesus Christ. We've been learning in Sunday school, and y'all have heard me say it so many times, you know, talking about the law. We look at ourselves in light of the law. The law says, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. And that law shows us in our heart. Jesus was showing you how your heart, and over in Matthew chapter number five, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, I've never committed adultery. I've never cheated on my wife. I've never done anything. But in Matthew chapter number five, Jesus said, I tell you, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery already in his heart. The law shows us 
our own sinful state before God. God laid that out. And that law that showed us how to be right before God, how to live right before God, shows us the wickedness of our heart instead. It's, it was there, Paul said, it was ordained to life. But when the law came, sin revived and I died. It shows our sinful state before God. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And uh, the Bible also tells us the wages of sin is death. And there is an eternity in hell. There is an eternal hell. You look at that and say, well, I just don't think of loving God. Well, who had known the mind of Christ? Not us. It's God's plan. You know, how that works, how that happens, I don't know. I just know what the Bible tells us. And that he says, he that, he that hath the Son hath life, he that hath not the Son hath not life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. There is a day of judgment that's coming. 